Hezekiah Reads, Beowulf, Part 13 So we've reached the end of Part 2 of Beowulf now, and I wanted to stop and do another sort of retrospective analysis just to take in everything that we've seen so far, because so far, parts one and two, the deaths of Grendel and Grendel's mother, took place pretty much sequentially. But now, there is going to be a 50-year gap between the events of parts one and two and the beginning of part three. Kind of. Because part three is also going to quickly go over some of the events that happened during those 50 years, and it's going to do so a bit out of order. But that's because the poet or poets who came up with this particular saga were not interested in telling a sort of linear history of a tale. They were here to weave this story in with everything else in their literary tradition. This is why we have callbacks to off-screen events that to us as modern readers and or listeners sound like diversions because we don't know what they're trying to reference. But to them, all of these allusions to other works tied in the themes of those other works with the themes that are being evoked in the text here. So, like I said, in part three, there is going to be scattered, tantalizing bits and pieces of references to a lot of different feuds and wars that are understood to be part of this sort of larger tradition. And we've already seen the beginning of some of that in parts one and two. So if we've been paying attention, there are at least three different feuds being referenced already that really set the cultural scene for what Beowulf is doing here. One of these has already happened. This was Beowulf's father, Ejtheo, who caused a feud when he killed Hathalaf of the Wilfingus, causing his own people not to want to keep him around for fear of feuding with the Wilfingus. And Hrothgar says, when he initially welcomes Beowulf to his hall, Oh yeah, I know you. I was the one who smoothed over that feud by sending gifts and gold to the Wilfingus so that they would drop this grievance against your father. And that is one of the important first connections that he and Beowulf make. A sort of, here are my credentials as to why you should be nice to me, and, you know, here are your credentials as to why I should believe that you are a hero that can maybe help us with this thing. And then there is a feud that has already been heavily foreshadowed that will happen in the future. In fact, Beowulf spent a long time actually talking to Hialak about what he foresees will happen. So Hrothgar's daughter, Freya Waru, is going to be married to Ingeld, the young king of the Hathabards. That marriage is not going to preserve any sort of peace for very long. The Hathabards are going to attack and burn Heorot. This was already foretold way near the beginning, when we were introduced to the Grand Hall of Heorot 
I think one of the very first things we learn is it has not yet been touched by fire, but it will be in the future. After Hrothgar dies, his nephew Hrothulf is going to usurp the throne and kill Hrothgar's son Hrethric. This was also already foreshadowed when Queen Wolchtheo came forth and blithely assumed, just in passing, that Hrothulf would be nice to his cousins, because after all, Hrothgar and Wolchtheo did so much for him, raising him and basically acting as his parents. Well, you know, dramatic irony, that's not going to happen. Listeners at the time knew that was not going to happen. And then there's one more upcoming feud that we have gotten a few little hints about, but not nearly as many as we have for the others. This is King Onella, the Swedish king. Hrothgar's sister, who isn't named in this particular work, but other sources give her name as Irsa, is married to Onella. But that marriage alliance, as it seems all marriage alliances are in this culture, is not powerful enough to fully hold back the strength of old grudges and feuds. Onella was the one who killed Hrethel, the father of Hjelak. Beowulf, in part three, is going to kill him later. And when he does, there's no mention of Irsa or what happens to her, what happened to her. But it seems that there might be a parallel to the story that we have already heard about the Danish king Hoke, his two children, Hnaf and Hildeberg, and Hildeberg's husband, Finn Folkwalding, who, despite being married to Hildeberg, ends up feuding with Hnaf and causes a whole war between the Danes and the Frisians. So, in sum, this is very much a culture embedded in different peoples, different tribes, holding on to cultural grudges against each other for a very, very long time. Grudges that they try to smooth away with gold gifts, with marriage alliances, with cultural exchanges. But the point is that it never works for long, and everybody knows it. Even Beowulf can foresee what's going to happen with Hrothgar, Freyawaru, and Ingeld. And it's against this backdrop of constant men killing other men, that we get the story of a man contending with monsters. And think of how horrifying that must be to have lived your entire life in a very warlike culture, and still, when the monsters come calling, you still can't do anything about them. Unless, of course, you're Beowulf. And here's the thing about Beowulf. The story has waited this long. It has waited until the end of part two, two-thirds of the way through this entire epic, to reveal that Beowulf, this badass whom we have already seen defeat two monsters by himself with his bare hands, 
was in fact seen as kind of a loser at home when he was growing up. Hiyalak didn't pay him any particular heed, he wasn't known for being good at anything, and this really recontextualizes things like Unferth mocking him when he first showed up at Hrothgar's court, saying, oh, you boasted about this long swim that you did, but your friend beat you, didn't he? And, of course, Beowulf comes back with, no, I was actually fighting a whole bunch of sea monsters. And when we first come across that line, we're like, okay, yeah, this is an opportunity for him to show off his credentials. He's being challenged so that he can come back and say, in fact, I can kill sea monsters. But from Unferth's point of view, he was probably not just being a heckler, he was probably going, we have heard of you, you're a total loser, why are you showing up saying that you can do all this stuff? And it's not just Unferth either, when Beowulf goes back to Hialak, Hialak doesn't say anything like, oh, I knew you could do it, I'm so proud of you. What he says is, I originally objected to you going. I'm glad to see you back alive. It sure sounds like Hialog had no faith in Beowulf. And for that matter, when Beowulf went down into the mare to wrestle Grendel's mother, the Geats watched the surface of the mare, watched the blood well up, and gave up on him and said he must be dead even though they really should have remembered his story about how he wrestled sea monsters underwater. He just told that story like two days ago. But the Geats and the Danes had no faith in him either. So we really get to see all of Beowulf's coming of age proving himself without realizing that that's what it was until he's already done it. And I think that's really interesting. One more thing I would like to note. So far, Beowulf has been achieving all of these battle victories with his bare hands. He is a grappler. He is a wrestler. He can twist a monster's arm off at the shoulder. Every time he's picked up a sword, he hasn't really succeeded with it. Swords bounced off of Grendel's hide. The treasure sword that he picked up melted away in Grendel's mother's lair. I don't know whether this is some sort of deep symbolism that I don't know enough about to put into context. But just keep that in mind, that so far he's really only been using his bare hands whenever he's won because we're going to start to hear some stuff about shields soon. So let me know what you think. If you think there are any interesting points that I've missed, let me know if you in fact do know about the symbolism of swords and why they might melt away. My upload schedule has gotten, let's say, a bit erratic, but I will be back next time, whenever that might be with the beginning of part three. I hope you have enjoyed my reading of Beowulf so far, and thank you very much for listening. <laughs>